You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey folks, I know that most climbers go into the mountains to get away from the scary realities of modern life. And complicated real-world things like run-ins with the law can frighten and confuse you and cause you to leap from your sprinter and run into the night while being chased by a Utah statey named Rulon and his bloodthirsty, drug-sniffing German shepherd. But don't despair. Just like you got over your fear of the internet tubes and managed to download this podcast, there's a cure for your fear of the legal system. Dan Markoff is a climber, a normal cast listener, partner at Atkins and Markoff, and he has set up an email hotline to field any of your questions about the law. Dan knows you'd rather be avoiding reality in the mountains rather than facing it in the courtroom. So why don't you let him help you out? Email climbing lawyer at gmail.com with any questions you might have. Once again, that's climbinglawyer at gmail.com. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing it at? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. that's a big nice. place. You sold What's it that out. I'll say, you really should. What the hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on Europe, and I'm cutting it out. Good weather, bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And don't forget our friends at Defiant Bean Roasters. Defiantbean.com. Enter normal at checkout for a discount on great coffee. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Normal Cast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is September 9th, 2013. It's about 8.30 Mountain Standard Time. And on today's show, episode 42, is author, climber, publisher, Luke Mihal. We talk about his uh, his ongoing publication called The Climbing Zine. Yes, it's a zine. I bet a couple of you skate punks from the 80s just had a flashback. And for the rest of you, you'll find out what a zine is in a few minutes. But first of all, I would like to announce for all of you who don't follow the Enormal Cast on Facebook, shame on you. Those people already know about this. They know about a lot of things you guys don't know about. Anyway, we have uh, some new colors in t-shirts over at adiac.com. Adiac.com is where you can buy Enormal Cast t-shirts, although you can click over there from enormalcast.com. That's easy enough. We got some new colors because some people complained that white was not a good climbing color. Although if you're like me and you never sweat and your t-shirt, because of your fantastic technique, never comes in contact with the rock, white should be fine. But for you filthy, filthy climbers that look like little children at the ice cream shop after you're done climbing, there's some darker colors to hide all the filth. So check it out at AAC.com. Now for both the dirty and the clean. And remember, if you can't come up with the money for a t-shirt to show your love, there are other ways to support the Enorma cast. Liking us on the Facebook or go to iTunes and leave a review. That seems to help me in some way. I noticed that a couple of reviews got written and suddenly I was on the What's Hot list and outdoor podcasts, me and like 25 gun shows, which is kind of strange. Because don't those guys know that just logging onto the internet makes you a target for Obama's secret army to come and take your guns away? But of course you can use your gun to stop them from taking your gun, which I'm sure would go really well for you. Maybe one of the podcasts explains how it all works. I'll listen to a few and get back to you guys. And of course the perpetual juggernaut, the Dirtbag Diaries is on there. While the Enorma cast just comes and goes, hot one day cold the next. So if you have a couple minutes and you want to help out, visit enormacast.com and click on the help out tab for the information about how to help the show. And if 
you want something that's totally free, then send me your address and I will send you a sticker. No problem. Just email me at chris at enormacast.com. I'll send you a sticker. Uh, I think that's all I got for you today. So let's just get right into the interview with Luke Mihal, who is the newest member of my secret league, my secret coalition of extraordinary climbing media gentlemen, and also a devoted practitioner of what he calls the dirtbag state of mind. All right, we can go ahead and get started Sweet. anytime you want. Awesome, so. yeah. Beer, beer 30. Actually, yeah, it is. It's, yeah. it's, I had one um, earlier this morning, which is unusual for me, but uh, it's actually okay, 3.30, especially at the trade show. We should get this done and get back for yeah, all the, 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 the other pouring. Beer 30, yeah. yeah, so. yeah. The real right. spray fest. <laughs> so um, I want to welcome uh, Luke Mihal, Mahal, what, what do we got? Mihal, that's what I thought, yeah, yeah. but I used to call Fitz... Kahal, K-Hall. Yeah. Anyway, um, I just wanted to make sure and get it right. Um, you and I were just talking about how we know each other, and basically, what do we come up with? Brent Armstrong. Brent Armstrong. The uh, crazy aid climber and prolific in his in his time in the Black Canyon on El Cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he and, told and the me, Fisher Towers. In the Fisher Towers. Yeah, I think that's where I... I first connected with him too. so he told that. me the first time i ever heard your name was chris Kalouse. is that how you say your last name Kalouse mm-hmm. is the best climber i've ever had a beer with wow yeah Jesus. so i imagine that was in your like your aid heyday but wow yeah and i, I would imagine brent hadn't really gotten around very much at that point <laughs> either because i know he's gone on to uh gone on to travel the world as a climber what's he doing now yeah so he lives in las vegas okay that's he, right he's a rigger He's a rigger. He yeah. like I think he rigged a show for like Beyonce or sure. something. But yeah, that's right. I'll see him every couple of years when I roll through. But he doesn't climb a ton anymore. He uh-huh. doesn't have a lot of uh, toes. Right, he, he lost, lost his he toes lost on toes. like the the Drew or something. Something with with Johnny Cop sure. and, and another climber. Um, but he he doesn't climb a ton. But he still when I went climbing with him, he warmed up on a twenty five foot high ball in Red Rocks. And nice with his limited amount of toes. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brent. If you're out there listening, dude, you always welcome on the normal cast. But yeah, way. he's it, he's got some stories. We can yeah. reminisce about our both of our painful, uh, eight dark aid climbing days. Yeah, nobody um, respects aid climbers. Doesn't seem like like hardcore aid climbers is. It's more of like this. You're in a, maybe a different space, and that's why you can do it. Or yeah, some some of them get respect, but like yeah. I kind of blew my own legacy with my <laughs> aid ramp. But uh, but no, it it is interesting because Brent and I. We were at very similar places with that at, uh-huh. at, at a similar time. Like both of us were soloers. Um, I think we had different reasons for doing it. Yeah, and I yeah. can't even really articulate the reasons I had. Right. But you know, we were, we definitely met eye to eye on like the the deep dark aid climbing solo missions. So that's yeah. I think it, it, as much as that's a wonderful compliment that he he gave me. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I think it's as much that you know we sat there drinking beers with like guy that like knew what we were both talking about, you know, back yeah. and forth. Like, cause you know, it's a weird sport, aid climbing and, and really hard aid climbing is definitely one of those things where it's like, what's that old cliche thing? If you, if you, if you have to ask, you'll never know. Yeah. But it's, it's a really hard one to kind of like get into the nitty gritty of soloing some really heinous wall in the black and why you do it and those sorts of things. So, and for context with yeah. Brent, um, I think, Brent was the first big wall climber I ever met when I moved to Gunnison mm-hmm. in 1999. And shortly after he went down on spring break, he, I think he had broken up with a girl and was in a crazy headspace and decided to do, um, a repeat of Jim, a Jim Byer, sure, I, I think black that. planet. Right. And he ended up going off on his own variation. So nine days, it was over spring break, but spring break in Gunnison is not spring. It's winter. So everybody goes totally, to the creek. Yeah. Brent goes down to the Black Canyon by himself. The road's still closed. Skis in, starts on a Jim Buyer A4 plus route, puts up his own variation, and then like has this meltdown. And he told, I interviewed him. The first article I ever got published in a major magazine was in Rock and Ice. 
it was an interview of Brent and I had to kind of beg him to do it, but he says he has this meltdown and then at night he listens to Dr. Dre and gets like back psyched to do this through like he like he said he was crying and like has this huge meltdown and nine day winter solo in the black and then Dr. Dre helps pull him out of it and he sends and gets the route done and I, I'm pretty sure it's it's still unrepeated. Yeah, so, of course it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's uh, there's no doubt in my mind it's unrepeated. Anyway, shout out to Brent Armstrong. Like I said, if you're listening, Brent, come on the show. <clears throat> we'll get in touch. I'm I, I'm pretty sure I'm Facebook friends with Brent. Is he on Facebook? I think he is. I think he spells his name backwards or something. Like oh, that's right. Yeah. Of course. Of yeah. course. Anyway, so let's get back to you because yeah. this isn't about conjecture about uh, Brent's desires and inner demons. <laughs> um, I invited uh, Luke to come on the show because he's a publisher um, and a writer and a climbing writer. And, you know, we've traveled in similar circles, not just Brent, but we have a bunch of mutual friends. You're a, we're a Gunnison Crested Butte climber. Um, I went to school in Gunnison. It turns out we went to school there at the same time. And, uh, you know, you, you sort of run the Brometer Triangle through the creek and the Not the Canyon, rifle part. But not but the rifle yeah, part, yeah. It's the creek and the, and the black. You're yeah. one of those guys. I, I want to get to rifle more though. It's, that's on the list. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but I wanted to talk to you, you know, mainly about sort of what kind of climber you are, how you got into to writing about it, and then what you why you started this publishing company, and uh, we'll go from there. So let's start with that. Like we just talked about, maybe you being a little bit more of a trad climber than than a, any sort of sport climber, which is a necessity if you're going to be climbing out of gunny. But uh, right, yeah. So right. what kind of climber are you, Luke? Yeah, I'm I'm a rock climber. I just yeah. I love rock climbing, um, bouldering, sport. Crack climbing, aid climbing. So I, I like, I don't really like to be cold though. So I'm definitely not an alpinist, but I'm just, I'm a rock climber. You don't like to be yeah. cold, but you lived in Gunny. But I lived in Gunny. Maybe that's why I don't like to be cold. Right. Like right. You moved yeah. away from there yeah. down to the sun belt in Durango. Exactly. Tropics of Durango. You're a rock climber. Yeah. 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 Doesn't yeah. matter what never, it is. I will never be on a big mountain with snow or okay. ice. I don't even ice climb. Right. Yeah. No, I just had, uh, I just had, um, Aaron Mulkey in here from Wyoming is ice climber and that's basically today, yeah yeah that's basically we all we talked about was how I don't like to ice climb and he does that <laughs> yeah. was the gist of the show yeah. <laughs> he likes cold water I don't like cold water and yeah. uh, or frozen water for that matter so tell me about becoming a rock climber what's what's your background where'd you grow up what kind yeah, of family so you got? I grew up in in the flatlands of Illinois uh, normal Illinois Bloomington normal is the twin cities and in the central Illinois, and I just tell people I'm from normal Illinois because that describes it. But I started climbing um, down in southern Illinois, so uh-huh. ill. But I really didn't like it. I just went. Um, and then I started well, Wait getting, a minute. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't like southern Illinois climbing or you didn't like climbing? I just – climbing right away didn't grab me, oh, okay. at least outside. Huh. Um, but then I, I actually got into it in the gym. So I was probably like 20 years old and um, started going to this gym that was – at the time, build is Upper Limits. Shout out to them. Um, at the time, build is the largest climbing gym in the United States, if not the world. I know it's been surpassed many, many times by now. Right. But this is the late '90s, and I liked I liked the gym more than more than outside climbing. But so that lasted for about four or five months, and then I ended up going moving out west to Gunnison, and um, just which is totally different than the gym climbing environment. But I. Uh, I got hooked pretty how'd, pretty quick and gunnison. How'd you end up moving out there? Going to school or it what? It was pretty random. Um, it's kind of a long story, but um, I, I kind of just took off from Illinois. I'd had enough and toured around Arizona, Utah, you, Colorado. You had, you'd had enough of a town called Normal? Yeah, I had I had, had enough, <laughs> man. It, just, it, didn't, it wasn't working for me, and I'd been to two colleges. So okay. at 20, Western State in Gunnison was my third college. Okay. Already. So I was like... Parents are like, you need to figure something out. And sure. I need to figure something out. And I was wandering around up here in Utah, and I've lived here in Salt Lake a little bit in Arizona, but traveled around and like landed in Gunny, and Gunny just seemed like a cool place to be. So, uh-huh. Uh, and what year was that? Um, 99. Yeah, actually, you know, I'm from Illinois as well. Where are you from? In Illinois? Uh, Libertyville, north suburb of Chicago. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a lot of, my mom grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. So. And a lot of kids, yeah. uh, you know, that I went to school with went down to normal. Cause which, yeah. which college is that? ISU, Illinois State University. Yeah. Illinois State, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I applied there. Yeah. Um, but I didn't go. I went to Colorado State. I got out yeah. sooner than later. If you're... Uh, 
So right on. So you end up in Gunny, and now you're going to be interested in becoming an outdoor rock climber? Yeah, yeah. So just, I guess I don't even really remember the transition, but so many climbers in Gunny, uh-huh. um, and everybody's super open and friendly. So you move to Gunny, and you're a climber, and then you instantly have like 50 friends. So Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. though, because if I was to characterize a gym climber, you know, going to southern Illinois... Like the leap from the gym to Southern Illinois is not nearly as big as the leap from the gym to climbing in Taylor Canyon, right, for example. Right. Which oh man, is yeah. like a super old school trad area. Yeah, I've you know? epic done five six pluses. I mean, where else are there five six pluses? In yeah, Colorado <laughs> overhanging five six plus in right. Taylor Canyon. Right. So I mean, yeah. that's kind of a strange transition. So it must have been, I mean, something sort of social or some it was, some sort of like draw. That that made you kind of look at this in a new way. It was it was my best friend, um, Two Tent Timmy, we call him, which is a story in itself. Um, but Tim, it was my best friend from Illinois. Mm-hmm. Moved to Colorado. He was in the same boat I was in in Illinois. Not super happy going to college, and I just gave him the pitch, like move out to Gunnison, be my roommate. And he he was actually like a natural climber. Like I've never been super talented at climbing in any way at all. But he basically progressed from like climbing in the gym to leading ten plus at Taylor in his first six months of climbing. Right. So he was he would rope gun everything, and I've written a story about him. I think in the climbing zine volume three, Adventures with Two Tent Timmy. But he he was just this rope gun force, mm-hmm. and I just followed along and was just just terrified, but still would follow him along on these adventures. So uh-huh. Kind of owe it all to him. Yeah. You're at Western in 1999. Yeah. And so am I. Yeah. I'm actually running the climbing gym. Really? Uh, upstairs in the rec center. Before the gym Nazi. I don't know if you ever knew about him. No. He was probably your predecessor. Or Ben Johnson maybe was your predecessor. Uh, no, or- Ben was after me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the guy before me was, uh, was well, I would have been there in 99. I might have I moved on in the helm position. Okay. All I know is that it was terrible when I got there uh-huh. and there were no T-nuts in the wall and I added a whole bunch and I put holds all over the wall and built, I built an extension on it, yeah. but it was prior to when they blew that back room right, out. Right, right. Yeah. So that was the era. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I built that campus board that I never, no one ever used. No, yeah. Well. I've used that thing. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, so, But it's interesting that I don't, I don't have any recollection of you from then. Yeah. I don't think we've hung out for more than five minutes. Okay. Since Sounds good. You were probably, you were probably just some other peon that I yeah. wasn't, I wasn't going to. You know, exactly. I was definitely with. a peon. Yeah, <laughs> but no. ben, yeah, Ben Johnson was a. He was one of the first people I met in Gunnison, mm-hmm. and I was at this comp in like 1999. I said I was a gym climber. I was, I was like, I'm going to go in and do really well in this gym competition. Right. I was super serious and hyped up, and I like sent this V2 and super nervous. And then Ben comes up to me. Ben's just this like huge jack guy, really, really jack climber, climbing you know like 513 and. He's like, nice work, bro. And he's just super relaxed. And it just, that was a big moment in my, my life that Ben just came up to me. and was like 513 climber. And he's like, hey, bro, nice work. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, it would be kind of a weird place to cop an attitude in, in Gunnison. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's so much history there of like some pretty rad guys that have come through. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it, if you want to be sort of the big fish in the little pond, I guess that's up to you. But in general, it seems like, a little bit of a backwater to be like walking, talking like you're some hot shit yeah. thing in Gunny, you know? Yeah. It's a great, great community. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess we just never crossed paths while we were there, but that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, to be honest with you, 99, I might've been almost gone mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, so, you were... cause I was probably, uh, student teaching and yeah, so I may not have even been that involved with the gym anymore, but. Anyhow, that's kind of, I'm just always interested in, in sort of the way climbers cross paths right, and, and right. certain certain distinctions. So did you go to school for writing? I started off going to school for writing, uh-huh. and then I I stopped that pretty quickly once I found out there was a major called recreation. Right. Once I found that out, it was, it was all over, but <laughs> um, I definitely wrote a lot in college mm-hmm. um, for like the student newspaper, and um, wrote, poetry was honestly the first way I, I started writing. Mm-hmm. Poetry in the student newspaper was was how I got my writing start. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. 
You Writing s- poetry on napkins. You kind of, uh, you kind of like hesitated there. Poetry will poetry. Is that a, well, is that a le- legacy of, that you're embarrassed about? Not embarrassed at all. I just, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't roll off the tongue. It doesn't like get the respect it deserves. I don't even really write hardly any poetry now, but like poetry, I think is the purest form of writing. And then I'm not, I'm not big on reading poetry, but when you can perform poetry right. and it's done well, right. I mean, that's, that's a magical thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you. I just, I, I, I heard the same hesitation that I might have, mm-hmm. where I would say, "Yeah, yeah I've, for I've a guy a bunch to be like, of, oh, yeah. I, I started I'm writing poetry. poetry. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that's a little tough. You're right. Yeah, I used to write girls' poems too soon when I, you know, when I was like <laughs> in my twenties, I would write a couple. Maybe that was the hesitation. <laughs> so I'll still write a girl a poem, but I'm gonna give it a, a you know, that's awesome. a month or two, you know. <laughs> Because I was about to say that girls like poetry, but then when you said not too, too soon, soon yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're just like, yeah, uh, yeah, right. I, I got it. There's I, some girls maybe listening that I wrote a poem too. So, well, it came from your heart, man. Exactly. Like, that's, forget it. That's yeah. what being a writer is all about. Yeah, totally. So, your heart. Yeah. if they they didn't like their too soon poem, <laughs> they probably do now. <laughs> yeah, they, they can, probably still have it. They yeah. can still look back and say, there was this guy who was into me enough to write me a poem yeah, and yeah. they'll go to the grave with that yeah absolutely so absolutely. good job on that yeah. even if yeah the too soon poetry that's actually <laughs> there should be a book of too soon poetry yeah <laughs> <laughs> so let's skip up to this idea for the climbing zine so you uh stay in the valley did you graduate with anything did you got a rec degree yeah i got a rec environmental studies okay those two subjects you yeah. stay in the valley then so I started staying in the valley. I stayed in the valley one more winter, and then anybody who's ever been in Gunnison knows that there's not a lot of winter climbing going on. Mm-hmm. So a lot of folks, and I stayed for one winter like that and drove myself crazy. And then, because I don't ski, I just right. don't ski. Um, so then I would start leaving in the winter to Potrero, Joshua Tree, mm-hmm. Utah Desert, and then I would come back in the summer. So okay. I did that for quite a while. Okay. Yeah. And so you're conceiving of this, uh, I mean, are you writing all through this time? Because you said you worked for the Mountain Gazette as well. Yeah, I wrote for the Gazette some. I think, really, I would call myself a writer. And, mm-hmm. and interesting, you bring up the Mountain Gazette, because John Fahey was the one who, with just a comment, kind of set me on my life's course, where okay. I would call myself a writer, you know, especially like talking to girls, like, yeah, I'm a writer, but I wouldn't write every day, or I wouldn't even write every week. Mm-hmm. I would write an article whenever it came to me, but I wasn't dedicated to my craft, which mm-hmm. climber, writer, whatever, you got to dedicate yourself and you got to sure. be persistent about it. So John Fahey's like, yeah, your stories are great, but you need a ton of editing with every piece. I don't have time to do this. I'll, he would publish some of my stuff because George Sibley would recommend it. So mm-hmm. jo- George Sibley, most prolific contributor to the Mountain Gazette sure. back when it was the Skiers Gazette, back when it was the Mountain Gazette in the 70s, right. and then that like 15, 20-year period before the Gazette was resurrected, and now it's down again. But John Fahey's like, your writing's good, but you need to learn the basics of writing. You need sure. to get a writing job with a newspaper or a college. So right. Basically, that's what I did. I, I was a climbing bum for a while, and then actually in Salt Lake, I had this... Um, Moment where I think a lot of dirtbags have this moment where you're dirtbagging it hard, everything's great, and then all of a sudden it's not great. And mm-hmm. you're like, I need to do something else with my life. And I was in Salt Lake. I had dirtbagged the winter before in J Tree, and then I wanted to dirtbag again this winter, but I had tendonitis. So I ended up just in Salt Lake and I like partied and hung out for three weeks, and then I ran out of money. So I had to make a living in Salt Lake. So I was living in this basement. I would wash dishes at night and then not even wake up till like noon in this basement soup, like a hundred dollars a month, super cheap rent. And eventually I'm like, okay, maybe Fahey's right. I need to get a writing job. So I ended up getting a writing job at the college I worked at in the public relations office. And that's, that's where, that's when I learned that if you're going to be a writer, you need to write a lot, you uh-huh. need to write almost every day. You know, some people say write every day, but that's bullshit. You know, if you actually have a life, you don't write every day, but you write, a sure. lot of days. I had a conversation recently with uh, Michael Kennedy. I don't know how we got onto the subject, but both of us admitted that although we'd written a bunch of articles, that we weren't actually writers. Mm-hmm. And that, like you, you started this this part of the conversation by saying that you know you'd written about trips that you'd done and things like that. And that right. I'm willing to do that, and I can put some words together and write about something that I've just done. But I'm not 
a writer in the sense that I can write all the time. Right. And he was the same way. He said, yeah, I, I don't write anymore because I don't do anything anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's that in between writing that I think makes you a writer that mm-hmm. makes you sort of, you know, that you can just, you can do what you got to do every day or most every day, as you just put it. Yeah, so, exactly. So that's, yeah. that was a big step for you then to, to start producing writing all the time. So I did. Yeah. Writing for the college that I went to mm-hmm. writing about the students, writing about professors, whatever marketing, public relations, typewriting. And I wrote, had to write, yeah, five days a week. And that's when it, it really sunk in learning, learning the basics of writing that, I mean, you, with writing or climbing, you got to learn the rules before you can break them. Mm-hmm. So learning to be a writer, learning the rules. And then once you learn that, then you start breaking the rules. And I think that's probably when really good writing happens. Sure. Um, so let's get into the zine. I'm kind of fishing around for the, the timeline. Um, when did you actually publish the first one? First climbing zine was published in 2010. Okay. So pretty recently actually. Yeah. Okay. And working in Salt Lake, where does that put you? Salt Lake was about 2007. And okay. Salt Lake 2007 was when I got into zines. And zines, I think it's a pretty loose culture. If you look at what a zine is, it's a self-published pamphlet. So some might say like Benjamin Franklin started zines. Or some might say the skate and punk rock culture mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s started zines. Well, let me say that. It's like in my history... That was the era of zines and a lot. Skate and punk. Yeah, skate yeah. and punk in, in the 80s. And and definitely, like, I mean, we can get into this once we start talking about what you're doing right now, but it felt in a lot of ways like the internet killed them. The internet killed zines. Yeah, but it sounds like in Salt Lake, you're still, you were running into them in what, 2007? 2007, there's a zine yeah. section of the library here. Oh, okay. Where they have a bunch of zines. Yeah. And I looked at them and I liked one out of 500. It's like this obscure emo, like hipster kind of thing. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I love this format, but I the only zine I liked was the dishwasher. Was this guy Pete Jordan, who was on David Letterman, actually. Ah, uh, yeah, who yeah. Who tried to wash dishes in all 50 states. Right, right. Wrote a book about it and had a t- distribution of 10,000 for a zine about dishwashing. Yeah, yeah. He I was, remember that, dude. Yeah. I so that, I was yeah, dishwashing at the time. I'm like... <laughs> I I don't like these zines at all. And so I did my first zine. It wasn't the climbing zine. It was called Moonlight Dream Chasers. This guy I was working with who did the art on the cover, he's like, bro, man, when I was tripping the other day, I thought of this thing, and it was called Moonlight Dream Chasers. I don't know where it was going to go, but you should call your zine Moonlight Dream Chasers. So my my the zine was about I did um, Buildering the Mormon Temple. Okay. Um, a fiction story, which I'm actually right. going to turn that into a book, I think. Um, about I do a lot of fiction writing. So these guys, Builder, the Mormon Temple. And then I did a, uh, actually a review of Pete Jordan's book and then another story about Buildering. So it was okay. like kind of a Buildering theme sure. um, theme deal. So that's how I got into zines was in Salt Lake City in 2007. Right, so hold on a second because yeah. people aren't going to even know what the hell a zine is right. anymore. So it's a, it's a self-published Small, small pamphlet, pamphlet slash magazine, hence yeah. the zine that got rid of the mega. Exactly. And so when you say you put one together, like wh- what does that actually involve? Like you go to Kinko's and like it Kinko's, it exactly. Yeah, okay. And I would, um, <laughs> so I, I got my, my heady friend to do the cover mm-hmm. who I was working with. He drew the cover, just like went to a coffee shop and he busted it out. So I had a, basically to do a zine, all you need is Microsoft Word right, and someone to do a cover. And then I tried to find, you know, you need your graphic design component. So there was like the Kinko staff. I like started to get a feel for who was good and who wasn't. Right. So I would look in the door to see if this one guy was working. Right. And he was really good. So if it was, if he wasn't working, I would bail because he did all the graphic design for me. Essentially, is whatever he makes at Kinko's, you know. Right. And so he put it together. And oh, I meant to, I meant to bring it for you. It's really small, but it's a small self-published pamphlet. Um, it's an eight. What. It was a normal, normal sheet of paper eight folded 11, in half, yeah. eight and a half yeah. by 11, yeah. folded in half. And that's, that's, what a, that's what a zine looks like. So some people say, if you look at the climbing zine now, it's, I'd say it's almost on par with some of the, the bigger magazines. And the ultimate compliment we get now is that the climbing zine is not a zine because it's too good. Right. So. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, because this is, I mean, fully underground, self-published thing. So, yeah. So you go and make a run of what at Kinko's? Yeah, like a hundred. We got a sponsorship from Sage's Cafe here. It's like this vegan cafe really? that I'm working at. Yeah. And so Ian, the owner, is like, yeah, that's cool. I'll give you a sponsorship. So he paid for the whole thing. And right. I was just a dishwasher at this so vegan what is restaurant. So what does 100 zines out of Kinko's cost? Oh, Kinko's yeah. like 200 bucks. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. they're stapled, folded, stapled, stapled folded together. With, a, with yeah. a, like a cardstock cover. Yeah. We're just now moving beyond the staple. It's a big right deal on. for us. Yeah. No more staples. It's fat enough to go glue. We're going perfect bind. Yeah. All right. That's, on. that's classy. Yeah. So, all right. That's cool. I, I just wanted to get that sort of clarified because... Mm-hmm. I mean, they were underground to begin with, and I think they're way underground if they even existed. They do. Oh, they still exist. I'm meeting with a guy. I met a zine guy who's like totally like glasses, like really literary. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say geeky, but kind of geeky guy. And uh, we're having a meeting tomorrow because his first job was as a zine distributor. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they they kind of have sort of, uh, I guess, this sort of cultural place of of maybe – you know, graphic novels kind of fit in there, like right, the yeah. underground thing, like weird, shit. weird, hip, yeah. you know, and, and in a lot of ways, like I said, that the internet maybe replaced them in a lot of ways, because at least in the 80s and 90s, it was the only place where you could, you know, put out self-published work. They were like the original blog. Yeah. In the sense that a blog now allows anybody who can type to put their writing out into the world. The internet didn't exist, and and obviously a publishing house doing a proper magazine is going to hire proper writers. So yeah. if you wanted to put your writing into the world, the zines were where it was at. The zine, yeah. yeah. And then some say zines go all the way back to like Benjamin Franklin. Sure. I mean, the pamphlet so, thing the was pamphlet, the same yeah, thing. Like, yeah. I want to get this out here. Yeah. You know, there's no radio. There's no television. There's only printed paper. So, yeah, it fits. I mean, yeah. here's uh, what Thomas Paine would pass out, pass out his pamphlets, right. you know. So, yeah. Yeah, so you're, I mean, it's a huge legacy. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, you're like lighting up talking about this like art mm-hmm. form mm-hmm. of the zine. So you like yeah. super believe in it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you put out what was it called? Moonlight. Dream Moonlight Chasers? Dream Chasers. Right. And then we did the Gunnison Valley is base camp. It was all about. There's some really crazy writing in that one. That was the second one. And the third zine we decided. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, one other question. Yeah. Sorry, logistically. So you're just handing these out. You're selling them. What, yeah. How do these get to the people? The Firebrand Delicatessen in Gunnison. Yes. Everybody knows the Firebrand well, yeah. in Gunny. And then Sage's Cafe in Salt Lake. We'd sell them there. And I guarantee they didn't sell all 80 that they had. I'm sure right. they, hopefully they got recycled and not thrown away. But um, yeah. Do you have a copy of it still? I still I have it. And okay, I actually brought it to for you to check out, but okay, I forgot cool. it. Oh, uh, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all right. So I just want to get this all sorted out. So you you you're moving on from Moonlight Dream Chasers to to Base Camp Gunnison. Is that the Gunnison Valley is Base Camp? Okay. So and then we were into zines. The Firebrand was selling them. We didn't even think of putting them online, right? Until it didn't even get online until 2010. Until some guys like you know it might not be that hard to put these on the internet. <laughs> this is 2010, not right. that long ago. We didn't even think about it. We just printed them. Yeah, that's, and that's how zines were. Dude. It's like yeah. it's 2004 in Gunnison. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You got like a MySpace account and seems exactly. like ancient your history AOL. now. Yeah. yeah, your AOL internet dial yeah, up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, we decided to do this thing. We do we decided to do a climbing zine. Like we're climbers. There's right. these stories that I had been writing. I've been writing for rock and ice and climbing, mm-hmm. working with alpinists a little bit. And then I would write these longer stories with more tangents relating to climbing, but not publishable. And they're what they want to publish. They're like, hey, let's let's take these stories together and put it in a climbing zine. Mm-hmm. And so we did the first one thinking we'd only do one. It would be black and white, you know, stapled together. Costs like a dollar to print at the at the local print shop. And then it just kind of took off from there. Sure. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You guys actually contacted me about advertising right, in the yeah. latest zine. Yeah. And um, I didn't hesitate, actually, even though I've, I've not paid anyone else in this world for advertising. Yeah, we appreciate that. And uh, It's a great ad, too. And, and to be honest with you, I, like, I don't even know. I have no idea like what, if anything, will come up because I don't care. Right. Because when I saw what you guys were doing, and I, and I actually picked up one of your zines for the very first time when I was in Colombia... Oh, okay. Right. Crazy. Because your, bro, cause so your cool. bro had been yeah. down there. Yeah. Uh, Keith. Keith. Brett and yeah. Scott Borden. Yeah. And they had left one at the at the hostel, and I was like, what is this little thing? Yeah, and what's the name of that hostel? Uh, the, Refugio. The 
La Mujara. Well, that's the cliff. Is that what is the Refugio? Is it Refugio de Colombia? Is that the hostel? Oh, they're going to kill me if they hear this. Yeah. Anyway. We'll give them a shout out. Yeah. Yeah. La Mojara is the cliff. Refugio. It's not Colombia. All right. Forget it. It's where I I recorded the Cody Roth episode. Go back and listen to that. You'll hear what it's called. Anyway, so I saw it there and I was like, instinctually, I was like, these are my people. Yeah. Because here's this creative project. You are going to put all this work into it and then you're going to put it out into the world. You're going to, you know, suggest that people give you money for it. Yeah. (laughs) They're probably not going to. We we actually have been... It's 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 working like okay, business cool. model wise. Right. So you working. you, yeah, you yeah. guys have a better. People business. are hungry for this stuff. Okay, People cool. Are hungry All right. Well, in the digital I, age, people are hungry. I right, forget for it. Print. Then I yeah. want I want my yeah. money back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but still, like maybe now it's working. But yeah. initially, you said to the world, like, here's the thing. Here's- it is what it, art for the sake of creating art. Right, and if yeah. we get compensated and can make our money back, and and that'd be great. Yeah. If we can make a little money off of it. That'd be great. Even now, I mean, you can tell me what you're doing, but you, you know, you still work in your day job. Yeah, I got a day job. Yeah. I work at a restaurant. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So whatever money you're sort of making off of it, you know, it's not like you're going to the Caribbean on it. So, right. so that's what I was saying. Like, we do have a private jet, but yeah, right. The, the zine jet. <laughs> yeah. But they, you know, I was like, this thing is, is in that vein of like, let's, I want to create this and I want to put it out there and hopefully it has value and people come back to me. And compensate me for that value. Yeah, and and so that's why when you guys contacted me, I was like, no brainer. Yeah. I'm going to put a little goofy ad in here and see what happens. So yeah. I appreciate it. Um, we so, appreciate the support. So when you say we, what are you talking about? Well, the royal we, like what you're talking about. But we. <laughs> so basically, I'm the the main, um, the main full time employee, basically, uh-huh. and then we rely on freelancers for okay. everything else for sure. graphic design, web design, writers, photographers. Um, I have my my friend Sean Matasavich who is up here from Crested Butte. He he goes to every single meeting with me, and he's never compensated for anything. He just right. believes in it, right? And I think that's where that's why we'll be successful. What's his and name? Sean Matasavich. I need a yeah. I need a Sean Matasavich. Yeah, yeah. Everybody needs a Sean Matasavich. <laughs> he's a, he's actually is a town councilman in Crested right. Butte. Really good guy. Uh, It'd be better if her name was Shauna, though. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. But yeah. anyway, uh, you guys are are um, producing your fifth one. Fifth one's out. We're working on six and seven right now for okay. 2014. What's yeah. what one do you have in your bag? Um, well, I meant to bring you one, but I gave it to Sasha DeJulian. Yeah, of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but that what what number is that? Volume five, the okay, dirt bag is issue. Five. Okay, yeah. dirt bag issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you going? I mean, where can we get this thing? We can get it. the The version's already been on Kindle for uh-huh, quite a while uh-huh. now. But our so Kindle is is an option. A lot of people read it that way. Right. I just discovered my Kindle. Yeah. I mean, I have I have an iPod, but I just discovered iPad. Yeah. I just discovered the Kindle app. Yeah. It's As someone cool. who's a, a bit of a you know, I, I have an English degree. Yeah. So I have a reverence for for the book. Yeah. The page. It's it's Turn, not going away. Yeah. I I I'm pretty into the Kindle. I'm pretty Sweet. into Sweet. the yeah. the nighttime lit up screen. Yeah. Don't have to have a light on. Don't have to disturb the person in bed. Yeah. It's actually quite a bit lighter. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm pretty into the I'm 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 just going to go out there for you curmudgeons like me or yeah. resisting. It's pretty cool yeah. actually. So. Yeah. So there's I think the whole Kindle thing is like this uh message in a bottle at sea or something too right. because you don't know who's buying them but you know that people are buying them sure um and people do buy them so but our our, our real and we have a website we do a lot of different things on our website what is it? But our, our climbingzine.com climbingzine.com yeah okay and then the true showcase though is our print version mm-hmm. we just switched to color a couple of years ago we'd always done black and white right. and then people are like color is the way to go people at their first glance they don't really get much out of just looking at words. They look at the photos first. Sure. And a lot of a lot of climbers are avid readers, but some we want to cater to people that want to look at photographs mm-hmm. and people that mm-hmm. want to see that. So 
I don't even remember what the original question was. Now. Where are we getting? Where we're getting? Oh, where scene. you get it? Yeah. yeah. And then Rocky Mountain West. That's uh, that's our main distribution area. So okay. Gear shops, coffee shops. If anybody wants to carry it in their place, mm-hmm. whenever we find a good distribution center like Maria's Bookshop in Durango or the Firebrand in Gunnison, it doesn't sure. matter what it is. The Wanderlust right. Hostel in Gunnison, people in Matter Bookstore in Fort Collins, like people move them, but. We need to get connected with them, so that's our our crux right now is the distribution model. So, okay, yeah, and how you get how you get those to or get stores to carry them or or shops. Yeah, because people or, eat it up. But right, we just gotta. That's 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 our that's what we're working on right now is to get it more in people's hands easier. What does a know? climbing zine cost? A climbing zine costs it's nine ninety nine right now. Nine ninety nine yeah, for yeah, the all zine. color. Okay, perfect bind. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I got my OR you, pitch on. If you right do now. say so yourself, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the things you say at OR, but yeah, it's I, I really right. believe in it. Yeah. Well, let me yeah. let's back up here and let me ask you a little bit about, um, you know, I just we just got a bunch of nuts and bolts about this thing. So, why does this thing need to exist? Why does it need to exist against a rock and ice, a regular magazine, um, or a climbing magazine or whatever else. I mean, yeah. philosophically, you guys must have some sort of undercurrent that you're like, this is what, why this writing about climbing is, is gotta be out there. Yeah. So I write for the major magazines as well. Um, so I have, I have nothing against any other form of climbing publication, but where what our focus is on in, it's really evident when you look in the stories, it's not just the elite. It's everybody's got a story and we, we don't give any preference to someone because they have a name in climbing. We look at what story they're telling. Mm-hmm. And so in the a perfect example is in this most recent zine, this piece by Stacy bear, Iraq, Afghanistan war veteran came back from Iraq, had some serious issues that he's very open about sure. alcohol addiction, cocaine addiction, Finally, one of his fellow vets is like, let's get out and go climbing. And he, he goes climbing and the way he writes about, so he writes several pages about war. I don't mm-hmm. think any other climbing publication out there would allow so much of a tangent on something that actually has nothing to do with climbing. Sure. We, we do allow that because he ties it in at the end and he writes about climbing the flat iron, um, which if anybody, a lot of people have been to the Flatirons, it's not anything epic by any means, but the way he writes about climbing this 5.7, his very first climb, it doesn't matter what he's writing about, if it's this free ascent up El Cap or whatever, but it's that role that climbing has in his life Mm -hmm. and how it basically helps him deal with his PTSD. I mean, he's suicidal at this point and how climbing just like gets him away from all that stuff. And Stacey Barris, he's like, big guy he's like six foot eight 250 Mm -hmm. like he's better as a linebacker than he is as a climber but he loves climbing and climbing he says climbing saves his life without climbing he'd be dead or in jail so there is the perfect example of the essence of climbing then coming through in the literary writing form and coming out in this essay where it doesn't matter that he's a five eight climber it's it's what climbing has done for him. And then sure. he's gone on. He works for the Sierra Club now. He's gone on. He blogs for the Huffington Post. He started Veterans Expeditions, I believe it's called, mm-hmm. to help vets that are coming back, get them in the outdoors and um, provide something with some sort of rush. Maybe. I don't know. So he he writes in his essay that there's no rush that compares to the rush of war, but climbing is, is a hell of a rush that provides at least something to help him uh-huh. cope with coming back. So that's interesting. Yeah. We we were just talking about uh, Aaron and I were just talking about like this kind of weird uh, parallel adrenaline addiction, drug addiction sort of thing. And like, you know, that that's an interesting comment that to go to war and to come back and then to like a normal life has been documented all over the place like that. It it, it really hard to do hard. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm just going to, you know. Go the pick up some diapers are, and, yeah. and go get diapers today and like yeah. mow the lawn. Yeah. You know, and, and three weeks ago I was like in a firefight. Right. Like it just doesn't do it for you. Right. And yet here's this guy that maybe can find a little bit of a, of a, you know, knock the edge off with some rock climbing, yeah. if you will. So, yeah. And it's really helped him deal with, with a lot of his issues. And yeah. He loves it. So, so what, what else you, uh, I mean, what other kind of thematic things do you guys like shoot for with these things? R- randomness. Yeah. We will, 
we we love randomness. Zine zines are all about random things. And well, then, I mean, it's really honestly like the zine movement and all that again was about allowing these stories that could never be published anywhere elsewhere, else to right. be published. Yeah, yeah. And our which other, means you guys got to take chances on things as well, right? And our other our other concept is staying true to the essence of what climbing is really about, mm-hmm. which is I think probably hard to do in any media outlet because there's the influence of different sponsors and things. But I think the way climbing media is going is for that every man, every woman type mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, I think we do take chances. And I think that there's a bunch of tangents and different types of essays ranging from this lady, Erica Lineberry, who does the Crag Mama blog, who is a a mother climber mm-hmm. who has a three-year-old, four-year-old kid. I don't, I don't know exactly how old her kid is, but she's getting it done like she's climbing harder than she ever has and she has a kid so she blogs about it so her her article in the dirt bag issue is called family dirt bagging and then stacy bears is climbing past war so Mm -hmm. we're covering a lot of subjects tying them into climbing but also giving a lot of freedom to the writer to um go off on these tangents about what whatever they'd like to write about so do you Um, what's your uh what's your editorial staff is that also the royal we Royal we absolutely. Yeah. I actually I have I do ed- I edit everything and I spend I'll spend a lot of time on pieces mm-hmm. like a lot of our writers we're like encouraging anyone right. who wants to write for us to write for us. So listeners out there get in touch with Chris get my email or my emails it's not hard to find. Um, but well, I'll put a, I'll definitely you know put a link to the site. So sweet. But I mean you 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 do keep using us and we there are yeah. there's other couple other people involved. Definitely or, definitely okay. I have about five editors <laughs> okay, that I rely cool. on. I mean, I'm just thinking that, you know, that's always an important thing is to have other people making the judgments on, you know, what this is supposed to sound like. So our writers also edit for us. Mm -hmm. We have definitely a a people of volunteers that read the essays because they love to read the essays Mm -hmm. and then just flush everything out and, and produce good essays. Right. And sometimes from very pretty kind of rough drafts from a lot of people who don't consider themselves writers, but most sure. climbers have a college education. Right, With a college education, you can probably write a little. Yeah, bit. you know, and again, it's like a that that definition of what a writer is is slippery. But you know, if we have a story to tell, yeah, you know, then it's almost like we can get it out of you with a good editor. Yeah, and and. Like I consider myself when I have written, it's only because I have a story to tell. Yeah, and, and I by no stretch would I demean other writers by saying that I'm a writer. Right. But most people, you know, if you can get a story out of them with a, with an editor, you've got something to tell, and and that's kind of what it what it's all about, I guess. Yeah. So, you guys are trying to start a publishing company or have started a publishing company. Benighted publications. So you're trying, benighted publications. Yeah. You're, so you're trying to grow a publication company. Absolutely. But, That's but it's, it, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a do-it-yourself thing at this point. At this point. Yeah. yeah. And um, in terms of that, I mean, I, I think people who listen to this podcast are on board with that. Yeah. And, and it's funny because you you either are and you're psyched on the fact that, you know, people going can hear cars going by in the background or like last yeah. year, you know, the lady wanted to come in and vacuum the room. Or, <laughs> like that's not a problem. Other yeah. people it's a problem for. I mean, that's that's like one of the major criticisms I've gotten. Um, it, not really major criticism, but people kind of feel like maybe it could be slicked up a little bit. Right. In terms of that, I mean, you guys are, are advertising, you yeah. know, trying to get get people to put a little bit of money into this mm-hmm. thing ahead of mm-hmm. time. But I don't get the feeling that you're sort of beholden to anybody but yourselves and editorially right. um, in terms of, of putting it out there. You know, you don't have gear reviews. We have gear reviews on our website, but not yeah. in the magazine. In the magazine. You know, in the zine. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, and really like the gear review, I used to write them for the Mountain Gazette. Right. You worked yeah. at the Mountain Gazette yeah. or were freelancing for them at yeah. the same time. And that's kind of this like, for me, it's like this interesting like, harbinger of possible like infusion of corporate ethic you know like the gear review because in in a proper magazine you know that's one thing that they sort of insist upon is that we want you to be reviewing our gear and you know people heads up like magazines never do negative reviews like go back to all of your (laughs) all of your your whatever magazines you have stacked on the shelves and look through there they're going to get A minuses, 
B pluses and Bs or whatever. They're 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 never going to just flat out tell you this this product is a piece of crap. Yeah, because it's bad business. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you guys asked me to advertise, it was just kind of like I'm like, yeah, that's totally awesome. Like I'll give them an ad and they'll put it in there and like I won't bother them again. And and uh, you know, it'll be out there associated with this thing that I think has an audience just like the Gazette in its prime, the Mount yeah. Gazette. You wanted to open this thing up and and just feel like these people were being like straight up with you, you know? I mean, is that ever like come into you guys' conversation about like you guys, this Royal We, this imaginary we, yeah. person? But I mean, is that a part of your ethic? Like this has to be, feel like it's 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 properly talking to an audience in a way that that is not going to bullshit them in any way, shape, or form. We, yeah, we are, our philosophy is, is definitely to tell a real true and honest story. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, the companies that we're meeting with are, are really, really want that voice in a magazine, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you meet with companies, they're, they're always saying these positive things. They're always saying, oh yeah, we'll do this and we'll do that. So we'll see if it actually comes true in the future. I mean, we actually are getting more climbing companies on board, just like it seems like the Enorma cast is. So, but I, th- I honestly think a lot of these companies want that true voice. Sure. So yeah. that's, um, they need it filled. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not like going to go out, uh, you know, saying that it's all bullshit. And just cause a magazine does that, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, some sort, some sort of like dishonest presentation, but, but, you know, it's true that we all, as producers of art and media, you know, we have to walk that line. I mean, yeah, pe- yeah. people with the Enorma cast, I mean, I do a little advertising on yeah. here. That actually upsets some people. People, <laughs> people are wondering if I can, like, you know, do whatever I want on this show still. Right. Again, like, when I kind of, like, got on board with the zine thing, I was like, I'm, like, I'm on board with this idea, whether it's you guys or whether it's other people doing, like, popular blogs that are real like from their heart voices of what they like to do. I think Brendan Leonard does a, a really good job with that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, he's in this most recent zine too. You know, I've talked about this before. I'm like, I want to gather these people around us and like as a force, like gather together right, to right. kind of try to represent this idea of like pure, proper, unedited in a lot of ways, you know, or at least the message unedited kind of media. You know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of the Gunnison climbing community. And when you think about the climbing professional climbers in general, the people that are professional climbers are not necessarily the best climbers. There are the best. I mean, you definitely have like your Alex Honnolds or sure. whoever, where there is no doubt that Alex Honnold is doing something on a higher level than anyone else has done before. But then you look at the other people that are professional climbers and there are climbers out there that climb just as hard as these people, but they don't want to self promote their climbing. Sure. sure. Like, especially in Gunnison. I mean, there's these people that are just really reticent and it's, it's probably more of a personality thing where they don't want to promote their climbing in any way because it's a spiritual passion of theirs. We're a, a really, you know, hardcore big wall, traditional climber i mean that that's an that's being an artist and that's mm-hmm. your art is your roots and um so that's that's what you make me think of when you when you talk about the landscape of climbing in general you sure. know, it's, it's very it's very gray of like what what is you know what's true content and wh- who's the true badass climber out there so that that's what that made me think i don't know if i answered your question yeah totally. i mean but. it's funny though because now as i'm listening to you talk about it and uh you know, philosophically, it's like we start using these words like authentic and, and in a lot of ways, sort of marketing and everything else has already hijacked a lot of these words. And then I, you know, it's like now am I thinking like, do I sound like some sort of poser even like projecting out this 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 whole idea of like there's only a certain type of media that's proper and a certain right. type that's not. But and I guess I'm not really saying that like we're we're like this sucks and this is great, but I think. All of us as climbers, and I've commented about this like when talking to Andrew Bisharat, I think we have this heightened sense of sort of bullshit that we're not willing to to sort of accept as quickly, I think, as as maybe a lot of other sort of sports. You know, we we 
you know, it's like you see a picture of somebody and the rope looks taut. You're kind of like, wait a second. Are they really climbing that? Right. And it's like, of course they weren't. They were at a photo shoot. Yeah. But we want this, like, we have this need for it to be real, so to speak. And yeah. I think within climbing, it's probably much more uh, heightened. And actually, like yeah. I said, Andrew, who's who's worked at Rock and Ice, who worked at Rock and Ice for right. a very long time, complained about that all the time, like, you know, how difficult it was to, like, sell this idea to climbers because sure. they were always turning their nose up at whatever whatever they sort of printed. Right. You know? So, I mean, I guess we're, we're we've gone off on this major tan- tangent away from the climbing zine. But personally, when I saw what you guys were doing, those were all sort of the thoughts that kind of went through my head. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this – and that's – and that, again – it goes back to that zine culture. That's what yeah. it was about. Yeah. It's like, we can do whatever we want with this thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we, so we've actually, we've backed off a tiny, tiny bit just in changing. We, we did fiction for the first, for volumes two through four. And we had these drug dealing climbers named Cliff and Jack. Uh-huh. And the name is Cliff Cash of the fiction writer. It's my pen name. And these guys would, to have these certain adventures. They were drug dealing climbers based in Salt Lake City in the Mormon stronghold. And they were actually had these weird connections to the Mormon church. Because if you live in Salt Lake City, you hear these weird stories. So, like, Salt Lake City is the perfect environment to get inspired for fiction. And these drug dealing climbers would have these adventures and get engaged in certain situations where they, like, killed a narc out of this fictional area called Native Creek. You know, so we, we've actually backed off that kind of. And then another one was like they were working on a pot farm and they were telling these stories about the mushroom wall in the Black Canyon, which is inspired right. by the hallucinogen wall right. in the Black Canyon, which took 17 and days. Magic to mushroom put up and, on, uh, on El Cap. Right. No yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a history of climbing there with psychedelics. And so we backed off a little bit with that, but we're still going to publish a book from Cliff Cash. Okay. So we haven't totally backed off, but right. we've. You know, when you see big pictures of marijuana plants in the magazine, maybe uh-huh. some sponsors kind of turn their eye at that. So we backed off a little right. bit on that. Yeah. Forget it. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're kicking me out of yeah, your, I'm kicking out of your the, alliance. The alliance. You're done. You're Damn. done. Brendan Leonard is like, I don't know. He's working for somebody. He's out. You're out. <laughs> as soon as you start making money, you're out. <laughs> well, how, let me ask you that. This how do you guys feel about the response to the fiction writing? Because a lot of magazines used to do it. Yeah. Most of them have backed off of yeah. it entirely. I think Alpinist actually runs fiction every huh, once in a while. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what's your reaction to the fiction writing? It's, it's a very small percentage of people that really like it mm-hmm. and are really not a small percentage, but I think the people that are more turned off by pictures of big marijuana plants. Cause I mean, there's a history of that within climbing when you talk about the premise for Cliffhanger, the movie with Sylvester Stallone was about that big crash in Yosemite and right. all the climbers hiked up and made some money off that. And John Long's got some great stories sure. relating to that. Yeah. But I mean, you look, there's that article yeah. in the Alpinist a while sure. ago, Hallucinian Wall, Magic Mushroom, mm-hmm. all these things. So there's a history of that. And people work in pot farms. And I mean, marijuana is legal in Colorado now. Sure it like, is. Psh. Yeah, totally. How many, I got like... Yeah. Somebody's calling. It's the cops. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! They got the roadway in totally bugged. All right. Well, let me ask I think you. It's real- a Yosemite friend, actually. Coincidentally. Okay. We're good. Okay. Um, let me ask you about your book. You. Yeah. One of the things that Benighted Publishing. Benighted Publications. Publications. Yeah. Uh, put out. I think probably one of the the, the seminal publications in terms of a long form book was your book climbing out of bed climbing out of bed yeah so tell me about that real quick and uh and we'll get into some of the themes in in there real quick climbing out of bed is a collection of 25 stories actually a couple poems that i I wrote in my earlier days and rock climbing rock climbing culture and mountain town culture are the three themes of the book Mm -hmm. yeah and women Women in love, yeah, yeah. yeah. I write about that, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I kind of like, uh, I literally flipped it open. Yeah. Um, you sent it to me last week. I literally, I'm not going to pretend like, like uh, John Stewart on, on the uh, Daily Show that I read the whole thing. Yeah, it's Stewart, man. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's great. Yeah, but uh, I flipped it open to a few of the stories in there, and actually, I kept, I kept, I don't know if they're all about this, but I, I ended up 
touching on quite a few that were about love. That's so the other like those so the other those three things that I listed are the the main focuses of the stories, sure. but the reason I called it climbing out of bed where the themes were climbing, humor and love. Mm-hmm. And every story has those three things. So I think if a, a climber ex- picked it up and expected it to be a book strictly about climbing, they'd be very disappointed. But if you look at the cover, it's a guy in red, white, and blue on Halloween climbing in J-Tree. Uh-huh. And the background is this shot of me driving this car that I used to have called the Freedom Mobile, which is a red, white, and blue spray-painted graffiti car. As far Yeah, as far as love, I mean, I wrote about those subjects a lot in my 20s and still do a little bit. Um, but it's uh, that's the most embarrassing part of the book is the stories <laughs> about love. But, I mean, we, always, we all go through that stuff and... Um, for me to, if I would have not published that stuff, it would have been not true to being an artist or writer. Sure. Even though I cringe when I look at it and when I do book signings, I don't read about those stories where I'm like longing for love and Gunnison and the winner, you know, uh-huh. it, it sounds pathetic kind of, but yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I, the only reason I brought it up is because again, I mean, when you're, when you're handed some sort of publication about climbing, um, you're you're usually prepared for the you know I did this and here it was and it was rad and the yeah. storm came in and we almost died but yeah. we didn't yeah you know and so when I started dipping into these things and it was like I'm like okay this this kid and I use the word kid not of you as now but yeah. you know then what you yeah. said it comes across this yeah. college kid I went to yeah. this college there I yeah. lived in that town I know yeah. what Gunnison is you know like. how many girls to guy ratio there is in these you know small but mountain it, towns. but yeah. it, I, th- I think you even make a point of this in one of the stories. No matter where you are, it feels like that. Yeah. You know, you could be in a town of like practically all women. Right. Well, when I was living in Salt Lake City, maybe. Yeah. Again, like it, it, it was a harbinger of what was in the book in terms of like, I'm not going to read this book about how rad this one move was or like this climb was. Yeah. Or, although yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's in there or not because I didn't get to. No, because I kind of suck at climbing. So <laughs> that's. <laughs> Nobody's going to read about me climbing this 510 at Hartman's uh-huh. in Gunny, you know? Well, there's something to be said for climbing 510 anywhere near Gunnison, Colorado. Yeah, that's true. So that's true. Let's kind of come full circle here. You guys have a publishing company. Yeah. You guys are going to keep doing this climbing zine yeah. into the into the future. For you, sure. It's becoming solvent in terms of paying you guys back and putting money in your pocket. Um, if anybody's curious about that kind of stuff, the book has actually been making money and the uh-huh. zine has been losing money. Okay. So they even each other out. The zine will make money eventually. It's just persistence, you mm-hmm. know, because we, we love what we're doing. Right. I love what I'm doing, the royal we. But, yeah, if you're if you're a aspiring writer who's got a book and nobody will publish it, kind of like mine, you fucking publish, self-publish that shit. Like, yeah. Get online. Actually... That's why I think this OR show is, is pretty cool because I, I met somebody last year. I think it was one of the yoga slackers or whatever. They're like, yeah, I got an ebook, you know? And like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And ebooks are kind of cool, but like a true writer wants their book to be printed. Right. And he's like, if you're checked out Create Space, which is actually, it's a big, it's an Amazon company. It's mm-hmm. not like some secret underground thing, but I'd never heard about that. So I looked into that and then I published my book on Create Space. And I've never lost any money in my book. We've lost money in the zine. Uh huh. I've lost money in the zine. So it's, uh, it's eventually both of them will make money, but the it's pretty easy to self-publish a book these days. And what we looked at is that people that publish the publishing companies that publish climbing books are looking at more technical things. Sure. And then Benighted Publications, we might be like the leaders in freelance creative writing in a in a climbing setting. So, like I said, you know, I have this like imaginary league, and um, yeah, I've brought you into the fold. Yeah. And whether you like it or not, right? And it's a it's a it's a tricky membership. Yeah. I want to know. I want you to know that you're walking a fine line. And yeah. If like, you actually start to make money on the zine. I'm gonna have to kick you out. Okay. But I'll try not to make money. I mean, I honestly though wish you all the luck with this whole whole thing. And <laughs> not too much luck. <laughs> <laughs> but not so much luck that you like can buy a car or pay your rent or any of those. We're things. getting a jet. We will have a you, private a jet. private climbing zine jet. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Your website again? Climbingzine.com. Climbingzine.com. Yeah, if, I would say if anyone has had some brain cells sparked and um, want to write something for right. us, give us a shout. We're, we're talking to Chris about doing an EnormaCast column, perhaps. Yeah, we'll see. Some, Just, something like that. Yeah, yeah. But seriously, either support this guy, support what they're doing, or 
like he just said, if you have something that you want to write, something that's been bouncing around your brain, send it to him. Yeah, or get and in click touch on with that uh, EnormaCast Donate Now button on your site. <laughs> <laughs> and give Chris like what well, we say like a dollar an episode or whatever. A dollar an episode yeah. would be nice. Thanks, yeah. Luke. Yeah. See, that's what I'm yeah. talking about. You're a kindred spirit. Yeah. You know where I'm coming from. Yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty. Like, think about what you just paid for that Rihanna song on <laughs> iTunes. You know, ninety nine cents, dollar twenty nine maybe. It's Rihanna. It's probably dollar twenty nine. Probably dollar twenty nine. If it comes with a picture, it's worth it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> Let's go drink some beer. Totally. It's yeah. it's happy hour at the trade show. Let's get out of here. All right, then. Thanks for hanging with me and Luke. And if you want to find out more about the Climbing Zine or more about Luke's writing, head over to climbingzine.com. Luke's also got a blog. I'll link all this stuff over at the website. And in addition, Luke was nice enough to send over the author reading his own work from his book, Climbing Out of Bed. And I have posted that at the website. So if you go to uh, the post for this podcast... And then right-click or whatever it is you Apple people do to get that done. You can download that excerpt and check it out. It's just a few minutes from one of his stories from Climbing Out of Bed. All right, folks. September is in full swing, which means at least here in Colorado and much of the United States, the powers of the burning death orb in the sky are starting to weaken. So it's time to quit talking about it and get out there and do it. And don't forget, check your knot. Want a beer? You gonna call room service? We got beer. You hold beer up this rock, you're insane. I may be insane, but I'm not stupid. I didn't carry it. You did, it's in your pack.